yeah i mean so like i didn't even know i had to, i didn't even know i had to wear a suit i never i never needed a suit before in my life so my family all put their money together like got me like a 700 dollars suit so i'm like walk i'm like you know the first time wearing a suit down there looking all nice the building was all nice and then it like hit me like i'm not gonna get into school now 2.8 like there's no way i wanted to scream at them like i i feel like i not that i like i need this and yeah, I want it, but and not even that I deserve it. I just, I feel like this is the next step. This is the next, you know, step for me. And I was like, well, I, I was like, I know everything you see in front of you, like the application, my GPA, like everything, all the lack of whatever I have doesn't, you know, doesn't bode well for me and from a competitive standpoint. But I, I know you can look through all those applications. You'll never find somebody that has worked hard as me to sit right in front of you. And I can promise you, if you accept me, tell somebody like, you know, I need to be here. You'll never, ever regret it. You'll never say Aaron wasn't, should, shouldn't have been in school. Aaron couldn't have handled, handled it academically. You'll never have those, um, those worries. And you'll be proud that I came to this school. I promise you that. And they were like, okay, thank you, Mr. Palmer, whatever. I'm like, okay, why well, did you bomb that? Whatever. <laughs> and then like two weeks later, two weeks later, I was actually with my mom in an antique shop and I found out that I got into medical school. Yeah, and I was like kicking things, broke something in an antique shop. I was so excited. <laughs> Did um, you play hard? Did you break yeah, something for real? Huh? I was at an you antique break. shop, 100%. Broke something, 100%. I don't know where we are in some like, my mom loves antiques. Um, Man, that's a, that's a hustle. So yeah. anybody listening to this right now, zero excuse. You just gave that. Might, I've heard a lot of wild stuff on this podcast, man. That might be one of the the most hustleless, 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 hustle thing I've ever heard on this podcast. And you know what crazy thing is? I almost, I almost didn't go back to school. So like I would go back and forth, like I said, a semester, and then one semester, um, right before my senior year, I would like um i was buying selling cars and my dad would get was getting more and more sick like unfortunately like he when he was doing the um peewee football thing uh he like he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer he smoked a lot um and drank a lot even like before you know before that um actually before he had us uh, but anyway he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer when he was in um when i was like in the early 90s when he was doing all this uh, football stuff and um like he got the chemo whatever radiation like um, and then he just stopped going. Like we didn't have, like I said, we didn't, we didn't go to the doctor. We just stopped going. He just stopped going one day. And then like, whatever, you know, how many years passed, 10 years passed. And then, um, then he's getting more and more sick and he had rec recurrent esophageal cancer. And so, so why do you um, think, why do you think you stopped going just because of the money? Or was it like I think the healthcare? That, I think that it was, it, it was all, it's always a lot of reasons with my dad. One, he's just not the type of man to like ever, um, complain about anything. He's just that still, he's just, you know, that manly of a man that he wouldn't complain regardless if he has mastac cancer or not. That's just how my dad was raised. Um, that, and like I said, we didn't, he did, I think he had a certain distrust for um, uh, healthcare providers, just kind of like how, you know, a lot of older black men do. Um, I mean, his family were, were sharecroppers and that's where they did the syphilis trials down in the, uh, the South. Yeah. But um, that, and honestly, I think he just wanted to keep it from us. The crazy thing is, and this is me being like young and, you know, you know how like parents try to keep stuff from kids. Um, honestly, they didn't even tell us true story that he really had cancer back then. I just remember them. I just remember like them going upstairs. There would be a call on the phone and like it was a doctor and my, and my mom coming down crying. And I remember that like they would like talk and I would just keep like we had a, 
it was seven of us in a two-bedroom house. You can't keep it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, so of course, I mean, I was just like a young, whatever, curious kid. So I like, of course I heard that. And then like, you know, whatever, a few months later, a year later, we never heard of it. And then it just like went to the wayside until it came back. And then you start hearing all the backstory about how it all happened. But they were just trying to keep that from us. We were kids. We didn't have any money. What Like, why, why add another like problem onto things when we got enough problems? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it wasn't until that came full circle when I was in college and um, he ended up passing. He ended up passing that over that summer. And like I told him, last thing I told him, I was like, one, I'll be a great doctor because he had always told people I was going to be a great doctor. I never, like I said, I, I didn't know anything about medicine, but he was telling people I was going to be a great doctor during his appointments. I was, I was damn sure I was going to be a great doctor. And two was I'm going to take care of my family. Like we had, we didn't have anything. Like I had always, my dad had worked so hard to try to even give us an opportunity to try to pull our family out of poverty. And so me having an opportunity to be able to do that, I was like hundred percent, I was going to try to do my best to uh, make sure he didn't have to worry about somebody, you know, taking care of our family or my mom. So those was the last things I told him. And then, uh, he had passed that May. And so that final year, my senior, I was like my, when my senior year started and I was flipping cars and I was like, uh, once one, uh, one September, or not one, one, uh, uh, Saturday, I made like five grand in like three hours. Oh, wow. You know how much money that is for like a kid like me? I never had any money. I was like, man, do you know how much money I'm making flipping cars? Like, why do I got to go back to school? Like, why do I, why do I got, I just made like five grand. Like, why do I got to go back to school? So I can give all this money back, go back to college and then like not have any money for myself to pay for anything. Like I'm paying my mom's bills, all kinds of stuff. Like, like, so like getting out of nothing then i'm like 20 years old and i got like you know five six grand in my pocket going to the club man it was crazy i like i, had, I was having, i was like why do i need to do anything but i like let me ask you let me ask you did you have a bank account would you would you put that in the, in I did the have bank, a bank account cash? i did have a, i had a bank account but not i i like i had a bank account but i need the money liquidated often because i need to pick up cars and if i saw a car for sale i needed the money in my so i had like a bank account that had like 10 12 grand in it but otherwise it was just i had like straight cash. <laughs> i tell you i remember in college i knew um one of my guys in college used to rap and you know producing all that type of stuff mm-hmm. and he would carry like i don't know why he would come to like the gym with like you know a stack with like just 10 10,000 on him and one day yeah. that thing got stolen, man. All right, year. exactly. Yeah. Like, well, like I needed, dude, I needed to get cars. <laughs> you can't be walking around with 10K on you, man. I needed to get cars. Um, but so whatever, like they, the thing that ultimately made me go back to school is that, you know, I started thinking about it and I, I promised my dad I'd be a great doctor. And he had, he didn't, he didn't care what I, honestly, this don't sound bad. He didn't care what I did. He didn't even care if I was a thief because we didn't have anything. He was like, if you want to be a thief, that's fine. Just don't get caught and be good at it. I don't care what you are. Just be good at it. I want, I want you to be successful and I want you to be happy. So <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's just, um, that's just how he was. But I told him I was going to be a great doctor. And he had, like I said, he was telling everybody and he had really, this was when like 2000 and what, 2008 or whatever, this was, we especially he was getting older and sicker we'd sit there and watch like obama do debates and stuff like that and he'd always say like why can't you do stuff like you know there's nothing that stops you from going and like speaking in front of people there's no difference between you and him um from being a leader like he like he would just and i don't know i not a lot of kids hear that not a lot of black men hear that and so that was that was huge for me um and so when after he passed and i was thinking about going back to school i was like no, I'm going to take all this money back and I was going to go back to school. So I think my bill was like $8,700 at Walsh. 
And um, so I went to the bank, <laughs> I went to the bank and they're like, do you want a money, money? Or I was like, no, I need it straight cash. I want all this in like hundreds. And so I took that money, I took the cash and then I paid off uh, my school and I saved up the rest of that money to like live off the rest of the year. And then I graduated. Wow. True story. <laughs> That's a healthy man. Can't, man, you just, you, you just mess up a whole lot of people's lives. Cause now they have no excuses anymore. Knows about, hey, you, let me show you what Dr. Palmer did. You complain? I'm going to show you what Dr. Palmer did, all right? Um, first of all, kudos, man. You get the clap. You push the clap button. You get the clap. Um, tell me about the MCAT then. Oh, so. Well, and let me backtrack. So you're doing all that hustle at the same time bringing your GPA up. So what did you want to get your GPA up to? So, uh, that's a, I mean, that's a very good point. So. When I started, it was like a one eight after. So when you retake all those courses, whatever. Yes. So I graduate. I graduated from Wash. My whole goal, and I would like you know try to work the numbers or whatever. Um, I graduated with a three point one nine. Wow. From, so, from a one eight. Wow. The issue is when you apply to medical school, they don't just take all the grades that you scored grading. Like I, I took organic chemistry, and people are like, "Oh, organic chemistry is so hard, bro." I took organic chemistry three times. Three times, three times. I went from F to D to A. <laughs> True story. I, Third I mean, time's a charm. Sometimes you're just like, "Oh, I'm doing, what I'm doing." No, it's crashed. And it's like, okay, well, next semester I'm gonna crush it. I swear. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, when you retake all those courses and you apply to the uh, medical school, they include all the Fs and the Ds too. So when I applied to medical school, I had a two point eight six. I applied to medical school. And so, um, and then when I took the MCAT, um, like I studied all summer or whatever, I like, I read, I didn't go to any of those courses, but I like bought the books for those courses. Cause of course, like three grand, four grand, like I don't have whatever, four grand just be thrown away. Cars, man. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't even cars because after I was like, I need to get this, like that summer was to study, um, right after I graduated. So I was like, um, you know, whatever. So I just kind of locked myself in a room, put the cars, um, uh, to the side for a little bit and just, you know, started grinding on study. I mean, I had taken so many uh, credits that wasn't that bad. Um, but yeah, I took the MCAT. I got a decent score. It wasn't like I crushed it. I got a decent score. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I applied. But like, even you apply with a decent MCAT score and like a 2.6, like nobody is, the majority of people are not, are not looking at your application. They're not even going to read your personal statement. Your 2.8 does not even get you, doesn't get you through like this whole, you know, filter system. Like I, whatever. And I would just be like, I know it sound depressing, but I, you know, they always give, and I'm sure you remember like those rejection letters you get, like, you know, they're whatever competitive cycle. So like competitive. So I, I applied to every, like every medical school in the country, like 2011, 2012, like 2011. Um, and how much that cost? You remember roughly how much that would cost? No, thousands, thousands. And um, I was just getting rejection letters. And you know how, like, people, people like in um, like in the movies where they troll people, they put all those like post its on everything in their entire rooms, just all posted. Yeah. Like, my entire wall was just all rejection letters. I put them up on the wall because I wanted to, like, I don't know, I wanted to see it when I woke up and I want to see it when I went to sleep. So I was like, this is my goal. I don't care if people are like, you know, whatever rejected me, it doesn't matter. I think I can do this. And then I go down, like, even after I graduated, I go down to Dr. Capley and be like, um, I applied to everywhere and I'm not, I'm getting rejection letters. I, I don't know if I'm going to get into school. And she's like, just, you know, hold on. Somebody's going to give you a chance. Somebody's going to read your application. 
and then uh, sure enough, I got a I got an interview down at uh, Wright State, uh, down in Dayton, Ohio, and um, yeah, I mean, so like I didn't even know I had <laughs> I didn't even know I had to wear a suit. I never I never needed a suit before in my life. So my family all put their money together, like got me like a seven hundred dollar suit. So I'm like walk. I'm like you know first time wearing a suit down there looking all nice the building was all nice and then it like hit me like I'm not gonna get into school now at 2.8 like there's no way and so you know you're sitting down there with the application cycle or the um like the uh, the alumni or interview and I'm like well like you know is there anything you want us to like tell the admissions committee that you know on your behalf or you know they always say and you just want to like scream <laughs> want to just scream at them like I I, I feel like I not that I like, I need this and yeah, I want it, but and not even that I deserve it. I just, I feel like this is the next step. This is the next, you know, step for me. And I was like, well, I, I was like, I know everything you see in front of you, like the application, my GPA, like everything, all the lack of whatever I have doesn't, you know, doesn't bode well for me and from a competitive standpoint, but I, I know you can look through all those applications. You'll never find somebody that has worked hard as me to sit right in front of you. And I can promise you, if you accept me, tell somebody like, you know, I need to be here. You'll never, ever regret it. You'll never say Aaron wasn't, should, shouldn't have been to school. Aaron couldn't have handled it, handled it academically. You'll never have those, um, those worries. And you'll be proud that I came to the school. I promise you that. And they were like, okay, thank you, Mr. Palmer, whatever. I'm like, okay, well, I just bomb that, whatever. <laughs> and then like two weeks later, two weeks later, I was actually with my mom in an antique shop. And I found out that I got into medical school. Yeah, and I was like kicking things, broke something in an antique shop. Like, I was so excited. Um, <laughs> Did you play hard? Did you break yeah, something for real? Huh? I was at an you antique shop, 100%. Broke something, 100%. I don't know where we are in some like, my mom loves antiques. Um, but I got into medical school, man. I was like, whatever, like, the, like whatever. I'll break everything this <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, and then I got accepted. And Man, um, push the clap button. Shout out to, shout out to Boone Shop, right? That's real, cause, cause like you said, most people aren't even looking to see what the look to see what the story is behind the numbers, man. But the fact that somebody took the time to do that, absolutely not. And when I called down there, like to confirm that I had an interview, I like called down to one of like, I actually called down to the diversity and inclusion, whatever uh, dude down there. I was like, let me just hit him up and see like if this really like true. I'm not gonna call obviously be like you know am I I really get an interview? I'm not gonna ask. So like let me call this this dude up and ask him. So I called his office. And he's like, Aaron, I was like, how do you have my number? How do you just save my number? I call it and then like that. And from, from that point on, he was like, he was always in my corner. Like he had saved my number. He's one of the very few people that read my application. Um, he had come in, him and um, one of his friends had come in. They were on vacation, came in after like reading my application and uh, came in from vacation and voted for me um, for the mission committee. Um, and I, like, I always appreciate that. They, Wright State gave me a chance where, like I said, not a lot of people were even, even thought that I'd become a, you know, could become a good doctor. And so I, like, I'm always thankful for Wright State. I know it's a small school down in Dayton, Ohio, but, um, they were, I mean, they're the reason why I am who I am. They gave me an opportunity when no one did. No, Wright State, they do some stuff, man. I know, um, one of my mentees, I don't know if you know, I don't know if she was there when you were, Mm. when you were, when there, she was, she was former president of SNMA. I know she wasn't there and she has had some good, she's actually about to graduate. Time flies, man. But mm. I've, heard, I've heard some stuff about that school, you know, like uh, hey, really looking out for people. Absolutely. And we did a ton of recruiting, um, uh, like from like underserved and like minorities in medicine. We had like my second or third year, we had like 25 
people of color, the, and we were like the highest in the nation, second ter- secondary to all the HBCUs, obviously. Um, but I, that's still an accomplishment. So like Dayton, Ohio, you know, medical school to really like take that and, um, you know, run with it. That was huge. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of like, you know, the work that, like I said, that the people at Rice State did to make that important. Yeah, man, definitely, definitely. And kudos to them again for looking out. Um, so tell me, neurosurgery, how, how did that decision come? Because that's not something you just like, like, and for, and for the viewers who aren't plugged into the whole, you know, academic medicine thing, to, to go into neurosurgery, you got to be top notch. So that means you went to Rice State and you did your thing. That's what that means. So how did that happen? How did you I was decide? Man, I was hurt when I got into Rice State because I got all those rejection letters. I got all those rejection letters. I was taking all those classes. I, I was like, you know how many times like people get like bad scores early on in college and then they're trying for years to get over that huddle. That, I mean, they heard all they're taking like retaking classes, taking both post back courses, trying to do like fellowships to try to get into medical school. So um, all those rejection letters, man, that like that scarred me. So when I got into medical school, I was like, I got blinders on. I'm going to do well. Like, I don't know what I want to do. I, I want to do surgery. But I don't know exactly. But either way, I'm going to do well in school. So like all of that, you know, taking 30 credits, I did really well in medical school. Um, and so, uh, so going to neurosurgery. So, you know, how your third year you start off, um, you know, on rotations, they call it, you know, on the wards, your first time walking into the hospital, trying to be a, you know, doctor, even though you have a short white coat, and short kill coat. anybody, cause you don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I started off on surgery. So I thought, like, I really thought that I was like general surgery, right? I saw that general surgeon, like, oh, I'm going to be general surgeon. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like, you know, whatever. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do general surgery. It was my first rotation. I was like, I don't want to do this at all. And they put me on trauma. It was general surgery. I was on a trauma rotation. So I was working all these hours. Like, I don't want to do this. And so one time they, they was, we didn't have a neurosurgery program. We'd have a neurosurgery residency down at Wright State. Um, but it was a, there was a level one hospital and they had like a lot of, uh, private practice guys come and cover call. And, uh, it was trauma night. I was on call, whatever. This badly banged up guy comes in from motor vehicle accident. He was like a phasic, not moving inside, uh, one side. And like, I'm timid as all get out. Cause I'm like, I don't want to hurt this person. I don't want to get, you know, how traumas are. Things are all kinds of crazy all, everywhere. And, um, sure enough, it was a black surgeon again, who was a community practice, the black neurosurgeon. I walked in and, you know, like, like, and no one really knows like head trauma. People don't really know what to do. And then the neurosurgeon walks in everybody. He's the only one that really knows what, how to save the brain or like all kinds of ridiculous stuff. So anyway, so I'm like on the wall, you know, basically, you know, back to the wall. And he looks at me, he's like, are you a medical student? I'm like, you know, yes, sir. He's like, have you ever seen one of these? I'm like, you know, no, sir. He's like, come in. And so he let me scrub into his case. And like, I was on general surgery. I was so timid. I didn't like it. The most I ever did was like hold like a laparoscopic camera, like drive the camera, like not, I didn't do anything. They wouldn't even let me like stitch anything, but um, he was not used to having residents, medical students. I mean, it was awesome. Like we, he let me do so much. He let me cut the dura, the brain. I never like did anything. He let me cut the dura, the brain as a like third year medical student. I was like blown away. I was like, oh my God. So I went home. I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is like, whatever. This is awesome. And um, I was like, whatever. So I, the next day, you know how we round and we round on the trauma patients. But I was like, you know what? Let me go over and see this patient. Just glance at him. He's going to be in coma anyway. I just need to like see him in my post-op. So I get it. I'll go on his room. I thought he was going to like be out in a coma. And um, he, he's sitting there. He's just sitting up watching TV, going through the channels. I'm like, 
what? He just had this crazy stuff. They're always removed it, saw his brain yesterday, sewed everything out. And this dude is just watching TV. I was like, okay, I want to do neurosurgery. Like, this is it. Um, but I didn't realize how difficult that was. <laughs> Every time I asked somebody, like, oh, I want to do neurosurgery, I want to go into neurosurgery, like, oh, well, you have to have, like, you know, outstanding scores, research, you know, have to, like, save a baby from a burning building, all kinds of crazy stuff. And, like, at Wright State, like I said, I love them, but they were not the, um, they, they didn't really push anybody into really high um, subspecialties from a surgical standpoint. So um, I had, I mean, like I said, still didn't have any money. My, like I was in medical school, my um, mattress was still on the floor. Like it didn't matter, even though, you know, your classmates are driving like Mercedes Benz SUVs or whatever, it's still on the floor. Um, but I found a, um, I was looking at other programs. See if they had scholarships to pay for like me to come out and see like, you know, procedures and things like that. And so um, uh, Northwestern actually had a like a diversity inclusion residency fair and they, they paid for everything. I came up here and went to and neurosurgery was supposed to be at the table. I went to the table and it was just a neurosurgery like. So um, they paid for you to fly out there. No, they, they paid for the housing and the travel. Like, oh, you had to like apply and show that you had like financial hardship or whatever, that sort of thing. OK, um, but to make a long story short, when I got there, it was just a, like a nameplate. I said, neurosurgery, no one even showed up. I drove like six, seven hours. Like, <laughs> and I even got into an argument with my course director over all this. Like, she was like, you're not going. I was like, it's funny because I'm on the road right now. <laughs> and like, cause I, I mean, they told me last minute, I was like, I gotta go, it's neurosurgery. Like, no, other, I didn't have a program there. And I went the whole entire way and no one showed up at all. And I was like, this is just like a waste. Like, that's crazy. And I didn't think of any, I didn't think anything of it. I went to a bunch of other stuff. Um, but the crazy thing was that like four or five years, well, I mean, how many years, three, four years later, I would interview at Northwestern and actually bring that up. Um, and it, it like, it was very interesting situation, but, um, but yeah, they were, cause they were like, Oh, how do you, how do you know, like this is Northwestern. How do you know that? Like, how do we know that you're just not interested in just because this is just a program neurosurgery program here? Like, how do you show that? Like, you know, you're interested in neuros in uh, Northwestern. I was like, well, I showed up five years ago. I drove six hours and no one even came to the table. So like I have shown interest six years ago. <laughs> it's up to you guys to show interest in me. You, use a, you, you play the shame card, man. Yeah. <laughs> play the shame, like shame well, on y'all for not time, showing up. At the time I was like, oh man, I just wasted all this time. I got into an argument, like, you know, and it's like God works in mysterious ways, but how is this going to help me? And it's like, you didn't realize like four years, like three years later that that like dry, like that would be a, a point of like emphasis during our interview. And I didn't even realize it, but that's how, I got interested in neurosurgery and still pursued that. Um, unfortunately, I didn't match after. Um, so I was, you know, you know how it goes, but for listeners who don't understand how the whole match process goes when you're, after you go through medical school, um, you start your third year, you start to kind of deciding what you want to do or specialty you go into. And your fourth year, you do sub internships or audition rotations and um, apply to certain hospitals in those specialties. And then I'm sure you guys may have seen on social media, but there's a match day that happens every March. And that's when the applicants or the medical students find out which hospitals are working at. Um, and so there are certain specialties that are very competitive, neurosurgery being one of them. And like, and let me just say this. It wasn't like I was a bad, I had been a bad applicant the entire time, every step of the way up until that point. Like I had like, obviously uh, undergrad wasn't the greatest applicant, got in for football, medical school. I mean, my GPA was like whatever in the ground. When I applied to residency, I, so like I said, I was so hurt and from having those poor scores, 
I like, I was just blazing on fire in medical school. I, I, ne- I got straight A's. I never got a B in medical school. I got straight A's. There was a medical student of the year award um, that was given out every year. I won that three years out of the four years I was there. Wow. Like I like my, cause I was, like I said, I was so hurt from like not doing well academically and that hurting me that I didn't want that to ever be a reason. And so when I interviewed for neurosurgery, even though we didn't have a program, I got like 18 interviews. I'm like, Oh, I'm good. I got all these interviews, like whatever. And then, uh, yeah, match day, I found out that I didn't have a job. And so, <laughs> so what do you think? What do you think it was? That you, why didn't you match? I want to tell you guys, man, Black Men and White Coast Youth Summits. Get ready, get ready, get ready, guys. About to be on and pop. About to be on and popping again, right? So we've got 15 commitments, right? So 15 cities across the U.S. so far and, and more and more coming in, right? That we, we plan to be in across the United States so, within, over the next year or so, right? 15 youth summits and more coming in. So if y'all are interested in having a youth summit, send us a message. Tell us, tell us what city you're in. Send us a message on our Instagram at Team BMWC. Send us a message and let us know what city you're in and what cities we should be looking out to and, and working to get into. All right. So we're super excited to be bringing the summits back. It's a Black Men and White Coast Youth Summit. Over 1,800 people registered. We're gonna inspire, mentor. We've got a lot of great stuff lined up for today. There's a large population out here who has never seen a black doctor. It's a good feeling to have other young men around to help my boy realize that this is something that can come true. I thought this would be a good opportunity to see how to become a cardiologist. This event was really good for me, so I can be able to learn more about my passion and what I want it to be. It's one thing to have a dream, but it's another thing to have the steps to make it come true. And that's what we're here today to do. All of these resources, all of these doctors that were here today, it's incredible. It really is. I know for a fact that we can get more black men and white coats because of what I'm seeing here today. Why didn't you match? Was it, did you, was it, were you like short on the research side of things or was it just you didn't play the game the right way? You didn't, your list wasn't right or what? I, I don't know. I will say this. I will say that, like, there are certain gate, like gates and and systemic changes that need to be made to influence the diversity and face of medicine, just in in general, regardless outside of the application process. But if I were to look more just objectively at my application, I so part of the issue is that in medicine, in academic medicine, and this is a like something I have a, a certain gripe with is that we don't view community service, community leadership as important as we view academic like research. And mm-hmm. like the whole point is impact, right? The whole point is impacting patients' lives. Either you can impact the patient's lives in your clinic, you can impact them in the community. Like, I think that we need to have just as important emphasis on the community work we do as we do the research, because like, okay, whatever you're applying to neurosurgery, people have like, oh, 10 publications. But what if they had like, what if they created a bunch of, you know, community programs, homeless, pro- uh, like life skill courses for the homeless, like went out and like did all these speaking engagements for like kids and mentorship programs. Like this should be just as held in as high importance as, well, you know, because it's, it's because it's because people haven't figured out how to um, quantify that in a monetary way. Right. As soon as people figure that out and then you start getting rankings for community impacts, that's what's going to change. But until somebody says, hey, we're going to rank you based on your community impact. Yeah. Nobody's gonna care about it. Somebody's got it. Somebody's got to figure that out. Come out with a ranking system because ranking systems that demonstrate that are linked to money. That's what makes programs 
yeah. value certain things, you know? No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, but I think that I, I had a strong application when it came to community service and leadership. And I don't think that was as viewed as highly as some of the academic successes of other applicants. And a lot of the, like you said, funding and things like that here um, or in the academic world are tied to research grants. Yeah, but um, so then tell me, fast forward, tell me how you ended up getting into the program. So I, I mean, I reached out to all the, you know, mentors or I reached out to the places I did interview at. Um, some people didn't answer. Some people just blew it off, whatever. There are very few people that I got on the horn with and actually talked on the phone with and continued to um develop those like that mentorship um, relationship with them and ultimately those were people who advocated for me and wrote great letters of recommendation for me gave me more information and advice to get in neurosurgery um, gave me additional um, contacts to reach out to and ultimately I did all that I applied to every neurosurgery program um, I only got a handful of interviews but I, I made the most out of all the, the few that I did get and it landed I mean like I said I didn't match the first year but then I landed at a place like Northwestern so um, I'm like super thankful to be here um, you know obviously given like the whole situation the whole story to even like make it this point um, and you know I think that Northwestern um, and it's hard for any program to really put a huge emphasis on community work but I think that they're evolving more to see just how important or much of an impact that we can make from a community service standpoint. Huge, man. Kudos to you. Kudos to you. So we're coming up on the time here. What I want to do now is to have a little fun, right? So I'm going to ask some randomness, some random stuff. Here. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. First one, we're going to go with um, LeBron, Kobe, or Jordan? Oh, you know what? Oh, my goodness. You got, you're thinking about this? You, you're from I, I got to. The thing is, I got to because I, I love little things. I love the I love the always win mentality of Jordan. It's always win. It's like there's no other option. It's always win. And sometimes you have to have that mentality. And sometimes there, you're going to ruffle some feathers. Absolutely. But the you can't argue with the outcome. And certain points to reach certain points of excellence, you just have to, you have to, you know, go straight through it, regardless of what kind of obstacles you meet. Kobe, man, he was, so, he was so much more finesse. His game was just like Michael, but he had like the whole, I know it's like, oh, Mamba mentality. No, like the whole idea of like, oh, it's the end of the game. Give me the ball. It's either I'm going to shoot us in the game or I'm going to shoot us out the game, but I'm still going to shoot the ball. It doesn't matter. Like I, that mentality is like, I mean, it, it was just amazing to watch. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. But man, I, I'm Northeast Ohio. I'm Bron. I got to man. Bron's the goat. Man, I'm sorry. He went three different championships, three different teams. And you know how difficult. And like I know it's like oh Cleveland, whatever. Like you know how difficult it is to bring a championship to Cleveland. Not only the like people say a bunch of things. Like I'm gonna bring a championship to Cleveland and actually do it. Like I'm sorry. That I mean what like that's that's go status. I'm sorry. And outside of all that, I know everybody does community stuff. Like Kobe has done, like, I mean, I'm just learning now of all the community stuff he did. I didn't even realize he, he, I mean, he was that um, prominent from, from that standpoint, but I know a lot of stuff that LeBron does. I've been to the, I promise school. I've seen the kids and how they're improving. Like I, it is, it's just amazing to see. Like I was out, there was one time in Akron that we didn't have like, I mean, whatever, a small town. We didn't have enough money for firecrackers. True story. We didn't have enough money for Fourth of July firecrackers because it's going to cost like a hundred grand or whatever. Um, and so they're going to put them off for the year. And that was the year that LeBron, true story, had 
got a contract at 18 years old from Nike for $90 million in Akron. And he paid for our fireworks. He just did like crazy stuff like that for Akron. Like he does bike-a-thons where he gives away thousands of bicycles and all the kids ride down. He does so much stuff, so much community stuff that like outside of basketball, he'll always be goaded for that. And so, yes, I appreciate Kobe. I appreciate Michael here. I'm being in Chicago. I like, I, I wear Jordans all the time, but um, LeBron's a goat. I'm sorry. He's going. I tell you, I don't know the answer to the question, man. But I, I but um, you from Akron, so I was like, I was like he's got. I'm biased, man. It's like I'm biased, like from Chicago. Akron, we're bringing we're bringing we're bringing the summit up there also. That's right. We got the summit up there also. So I need to stay pulled in. Maybe we get you out to that summit too. Um, all right, twist or cornrows? Cornrows. I like I like twist is in like uh like. Um, like dread type twisties, like long twisties. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, uh, cornrows. Like, I mean, I'm when I'm tender headed. I'm sorry. Like, I totally <laughs> my head hurts all the time. But like, yeah. I mean, it's I just like cornrows. It's easy to take. It's easy to take uh, um, braids out and put them back in. Very easy other than twisties. That and my hair is like it doesn't nap up as much as I like it to. I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> it is long, like long twist. Like it just comes. It's not. Yeah, not. Nah. Break. All right, and then last one I ask you is, um, if you could be any artist, who would you be and why? Like painting artists or rap artists or R&B artists or like just any? Uh, any, Joe, let's say hip hop, because I think hip hop would be easier for people to relate to and understand, or music, not hip hop, but musician, any musical, who, not, not who would you be, but who are you, like who are you, who reminds you the most of you, like who can you see yourself in? based on their music or their behavior or what, whatever. You know, <clears throat> I would like to think Jay-Z, but I'm not goaded like Jay-Z, unfortunately. Like <laughs> there are a lot of Jay-Zs that I, I look up to in the field of medicine that I need to get to. But so I think that would make me more of like a J. Cole where I like, I come and I see what I want to do. And then I just, you know, I keep on working at it. And I think that J. Cole also has his, he has enough, insight into where he stands in the community and um his importance and what he can bring to the community and um i think he flourishes in that and i like i like to think that i see myself where i need to be in the community what i can offer and what i'd like to do in my goals and i stay in that lane and try to flourish in it and i don't like and so i think from that standpoint i'm probably j cole hopefully nice nice nice. i love it love it love it all right man so i'm gonna give you the last words and uh you know just Whatever you want to say, last words completely up to you. Uh, we'd just like it to end with, I am a black man in a white coat. Um, well, I, I thank you guys for listening to my story. It's been, I mean, it's an honor to be on this podcast. I'm, I love all the stuff that black men in white coats um, uh, are doing. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to even be in this position, to even have this opportunity to be a part of this podcast. I think if you can take um, anything from my story, it's that that I was never a perfect applicant. Things never worked out as perfect for me as, as I would have liked. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't. All those are all outside uh, things that could happen to you that you don't have any control of. Um, the one thing you do have control of is what you can do and how you view yourself. And and I think that is the most important to really accomplishing anything of any substantial um, importance. So my name is Aaron um, or Dr. Palmer. I'm a uh, black man in a white coat, and it's been an honor to be on this uh, this presentation. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah.